0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with Najahi Events. I am so excited. I've been saying that so many times the last week or so because of the great guests that we're getting. But this man has literally put me and turned me 360 degrees into a deep dive and understanding about everything crypto. There isn't anybody, literally anybody I know that I consume content from that knows crypto better than this guy and could explain it better than this guy. Okay, I'm speaking with Raoul Paul, the founder of GlobalMacroInvestor.com and RealVision.com. Now, he's an entrepreneur, a business cycle economist, an investment strategist, an economic historian who's on a mission to bring information about the financial sector to a wider audience. God, I love this guy. Okay, before starting Global Macro Investor in 2005, he was the co-manager of GLG Global Macro Hedge Fund in London. His financial sense is so impressive that he was one of very few investors to predict the mortgage crisis back in 2008. Real Vision was launched in 2014 to engage and bring people into the financial journey through video. The goal is to bring the best financial information to everyone, and as CEO, Rao's mission is to provide unparalleled access to the very best insights and analysis from the brightest financial minds. For Rao, it's not just about profit, it's about understanding, which is something I deeply admire pay attention like really pay attention get a blooming notepad make notes because this is going to be a really informative conversation and something you will all for sure take something from cue the music So Ralph, thank you so much for coming to join us today, but before I start, folks, you're listening and watching this right now. I I need you, honestly, go and get a notepad, get a pen, pay attention, turn the telly off, please. This is really, really important. You're gonna learn some interesting information tonight, and it's gonna help you understand differently what you should do with your money. You're gonna get past those fears, and you're gonna understand how to better invest in this incredible world that we all call crypto. So Ralph, that's coming on. Look, I, I
1: think you're a god, you know, I mean, like,
0: like you just are everywhere. You're omnipresent in my life. You know, my wife even knows who you are. You know, you're really out there for me.
1: I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> but what I love about what you do is you just, you, just, you just tell it like it is and you tell it nice and simply and you do it in a really eloquent way. And that, that's why I've, you know, got drawn into the conversation from everything that you do. You know, I put you next to my Michael Saylor and then it's like serious, unhappy, monotone type of guy, full of facts and figures. And then you got you that just makes it sound a bit more fun. So hopefully tonight. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'll try my best.
0: Now, for the people that don't know you that are hiding under a rock, just introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about you.
1: Yeah. So my background is 30 years of finance. Right. I'm a finance guy. I grew up in London and I worked for the world's biggest investment banks. I ended up at Goldman Sachs, where I started and ran the hedge fund sales business in equities and equity derivatives. It was then around the recession of 2000s that I wanted to go and trade. What I saw was the forecoming recession. So I went and joined my biggest client, which was the biggest hedge fund in Europe, GLG Partners, and I started and ran their global macro hedge fund and then eventually decided to opt out of the rat race, moved to the Mediterranean coast of Spain and started writing Uh, macroeconomic uh, research and investment strategy for the world's biggest hedge funds, family offices, because I'd had a lot of experience in that field that most people hadn't had. So I started writing that, I'm still writing it 17 years later. Um, But in that journey, that journey gave me a couple of big things, big developments in my life. One, 2008, I saw it coming, I wrote about it. A lot of the people who subscribe to my research, it's expensive institutional research. Were some of the world's biggest hedge funds who became famous in *The Big Short* for, you know, realizing what was going on and profiting from it. So we all made money out of 2008, which was weird because a lot of friends of mine and I was living in Spain got decimated by it. And that was like, they were like, "Why didn't we know?" And I thought about it. I thought, well, obviously the banks can't tell people, but why did the media let people down? Why did this? Why is this information asymmetry? So anyway, roll forwards four years later, European crisis. We almost lost the euro, almost lost the European banking system. Governments almost defaulted. And it was a scary mess. And I was in Spain at the epicenter of it. Again, I'd forecasted it. I made money from it. I knew what was going on. And friends of friends, friends of my parents would come up to me and say, why don't we know? I've lost money because the bank has converted my savings into preference shares and then gone bust. And I've lost all my money. I'm not protected by the the, um, ECB. And I'm like, you know what? I need to do something about this. So I thought about it for a while and thought, okay, what do I have that others don't have? I have access to all the information. So I'm just going to give it to everybody else. I thought, what's the best way of doing it? Because I already write research reports and mine were really expensive. I thought, video, that's the answer. So I started a video company, co-founded a video company called Real Vision, which just interviewed, like you do, Spencer, just interviewed the smartest people I can find and said, how are you thinking about this? What are the investment opportunities you see? What have you learned from your career? And Because of my background was with all the other hedge funds, we got the world's most famous hedge fund managers on to talk for an hour, which they've never done before. Because CNBC and stuff like that gave them three minutes and said, what do you think of the stock market today? Or what was Apple's earnings? They don't care. So that started leveling the playing field for people. And that's that's the idea, the mission we have is to democratize the very best financial intelligence. But part of that journey, to make it relevant to this conversation we're going to have today, part of that journey was after 2012, I knew everything was fucked. And the financial system was in real trouble. And the only answer now was printing more money, which was devaluing the value of money itself. And that the debt burden couldn't go away now. You couldn't press the reset button because it's too catastrophic. We almost got there in 2008. And then had it happened in 2020 with the pandemic, it would have been the end of everything because the debts had just got bigger and bigger and bigger. This debt supercycle we've been seeing over the time. So I realized back in 2012, having almost lost the whole system in Europe, I thought, we need a way out. So one of this was educating people. I wanted to tell people how to think about this really complicated world we live in where we've gone too far, where debt has gone too far, and we risk losing everything. And we don't know who owns anything. And then the other thing I thought about is maybe I'm going to set up the world's safest bank. So naively, I got a few um, kind of um, well-heeled friends together and well-connected people. We went to Singapore, we went to Switzerland, and we went to the US, and we we tried to set up this bank, and it was hard to do because the banking system doesn't want to allow entrants. They certainly don't want to allow people who don't operate in the same way. So I was kind of giving up, and a friend, one of my subscribers to Global Macro Investor tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know what? You should look at Bitcoin. This is 2012. And I'd seen it because my job is as a macro guy is to look at all the investments around the world and figure out what's the most interesting to invest in? So I looked at it, and I wrote a paper, which is probably the first paper that suggested that the scarcity of Bitcoin could be compared to the scarcity of gold. And if we compare them on a like-for-like basis, when gold was at $1,300, Bitcoin should be at a $1 million if it's valued in the same way. And that became a very widely circulated piece of research because that was the first macro research on Bitcoin. Um, and then I started investing in 2000, Thirteen, I bought it for the first time. Went up hundred percent in a month. I'm like, holy shit, what's this? This is not normal. I sold it again. I thought I need to think about this. Um, I then rebought it and held it all the way through until 2017. Um, sold it like a genius. I'd made 10x. I was like the hero. I was punching the air. And then it went up another 10x after that. And I felt like an idiot. But you know, so is life. Um, and then eventually. My, I think of things in these kind of big macro trends, how the world interacts, and particularly around business cycles, you know, when the economy goes up, the economy goes down, we know that when the economy goes down, it's weakening, bad things happen, it was already weakening, weakening in 2019, we were headed towards recession anyway, then a pandemic comes. So my macro training teaches me to join the dots. Okay, so with this pandemic's coming, we're seeing that it's going to probably shut down the world. I saw that really early. I was really lucky and made some other investments around that. But what I knew is that the outcome was the central banks and the governments were going to print so much money, we couldn't believe it because we've just shut down the entire world for three months. So I thought, now is the time for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is this store of value, and it's also a call option on the future financial system. And so then I became quite well known in this space because I was very vocal because I didn't want to let it happen again that happened in 2008 and 2012 that I could see what was happening and I couldn't tell enough people. So it became my absolute mission to educate as many people as possible about not only the opportunity here, but also the risks in the system itself.
0: Okay. In this part of the world, there's lots of Indians, all right? There's lots of- And I'm half Indian. Okay, great. Half in uh, lots of Indians, lots of Pakistanis in this part of the world. Uh, probably sixty-six percent, roughly, of this country is there. If you go back in history, the Indian rupee was the currency here, so which is interesting to see. Now, Indians are famous for buying gold. All right, that as a store of value for them. Okay, if everything goes wrong, buy gold and just buy lots and lots of gold. And so we see this conversation around store of value being gold and the comparison then to Bitcoin. Can you explain how that comparison exists?
1: So why gold? Gold you can't destroy. It's, a, it's an element that you can't destroy. So therefore it has longevity because almost all other metals erode in some way, shape or form, and most other assets. Diamonds, yes, but there wasn't enough of them. And now we can create diamonds synthetically. But gold was a expensive to get out of the ground. There was kind of a known amount of it And it was hard to get, so there was a restricted supply of gold that came onto the market every year. And every piece of gold that got mined could never be destroyed. It could be lost, but really, mostly, it would just remain in circulation. So that has what's known as a stock to flow. So there's a stock of stuff that is already mined, that's available. And then there's a small amount that comes onto the market every year. And so... What you know is, therefore, if you want to buy gold, and a lot of people want to buy gold, the price goes up because there's not new gold. So you have to buy it from you. So if I want to buy your gold, Spencer, so you can say, well, at what price? So that's why gold became an anchor for pricing. So in a world of fiat currency, inflation can happen or debasement of currency or other things. And, and gold became the kind of global currency. And the whole system was pegged on gold for Um, hundreds of years, and gold has been used for several thousand years as a system of money. So I could pay you gold and buy a car from you. It's not that complicated to do, but it's doable. But it's a pretty clunky. Bitcoin comes along, and it basically does this but via technology. So you now can't increase the amount of mining because you've suddenly found a new mine in Papua New Guinea. There's like, it's a fixed number produced by mathematics that is impossible to change. So you know exactly the supply and you know exactly the the stock. So now you've created something with scarcity. And because it's digital, it can never be destroyed because it's on the blockchain. The blockchain is basically a system of record. Normally, if we record something, if I sell you something, there's a ledger that says, I bought, you sold. But blockchain goes, I bought, you sold, and all of these people will confirm it. So that cannot be changed. So we don't go to court over it. It's just proven on the blockchain. So that solves gold in a way that was more useful for the current age because we've now got the internet. You know, We've all bought and sold gold and it's a pain and you don't physically own it. And if you do, where do you store it in your house and it's clunky and it's big and it's not easy to make a payment for a coffee or a car. I mean, I, I can do it, but it's not easy because we have to agree on the price of gold, all of this stuff. The internet connects everybody around the world. Everybody's got a mobile phone. We need money and a store of value that operates in that system. Global. And along comes Bitcoin and solves that. So, you know, I've just got off the phone to the to the founder of Wazirex, who is the Indian crypto exchange. And like Indians are the third largest adoption of crypto now. Because they intuitively get it. A, their population is now, on average, 26 years old. So these are millennials ruling India. They've grown up with gaming. They've grown up with digital stuff. So here they go. They look at their parents with their gold stash, thinking, oh, my mum has got all these gold bangles. What's the bloody use? But if I have Bitcoin, I can store it. I can transfer it. I can use it all the time. And it gets around the issue of the Indian rupee devaluing. Um, It gets around the rising prices. It's like perfect for that generation so India is going to be a vast market for this because Indians intuitively understand store of value Um, and they just and the young understand that this is digital store of value so really exciting time it's interesting what
0: you said then I've been in the investment business for the last 28 years and my eldest daughter's in her final year of university and I was back in London a couple of weeks ago and she was showing me her crypto trading account and I was like what you done? She said, "Yeah, Dad. So, like, like about a year and a half ago, when I was sitting at home bored out of my mind, so I put five hundred quid of my allowance into crypto, and I bought, I bought Ethereum, and I bought Cardano, and I bought, I bought Bitcoin. And that's what I did with my money. I'm like, I'm your dad, and I'm an investment advisor. Didn't you think to ask me?" And he, she was like, "Oh, shut up." And it was almost like understanding the mind of a young twenty-two-year-old that was consuming information and living in that space, not even thinking that it was worth talking to me about it.
1: No, because don't forget, she'd have to explain to you that digital skins have a value in a game like Fortnite. And she's like, Dad, come on, catch up here. We've all (laughs) been trading these things, you know, and I want to borrow a sword and I'm going to pay somebody for it in Warcraft, all of this stuff, right? She has to educate you because she's much more advanced in her understanding of digital value. While you've had to go from equities, bonds, currencies, commodities, credit. What the hell is this? How do I fit it into my mindset? You know, you had to go through a whole learning. She's grown up with it.
0: Absolutely. Now, what I find fascinating is the rate of adoption of cryptocurrencies. Where well, you mentioned previously that the speed or rate of adoption of the internet, the rate of adoption of mobile phones. Can you just share those numbers again, so my audience can understand? Because when I say it, people don't even believe
1: it. So we've had some big changes. Of these gigantic networks in our lives that are are very new. It's driven by computational power. So first computational power and silicon chips, they all kind of take off slowly and then they start going crazy, like the adoption of home computers. But that took like 20 years. Then mobile phones came along and that took, I don't know, 15, 20 years before it really got adopted in massive scale because it was expensive, everything else. Then the internet comes along. This is the fastest adoption of any technology the world has ever seen. So we go back to 1997. There was 150 million users of the internet. And that network of people was growing at 63% a year. The world had never seen anything adopted this fast. Wind forward to today, there's 150 million users of cryptocurrencies. That network is growing at 113% a year. It's twice the speed of the internet. We have never had a technological adoption like this in all human history. So what does this mean? I'm going to break. What does this mean for people, right? What it means is networks are valued in a different way to other things. They're valued by what's known as Metcalfe's law. Metcalfe's law states the value of a network is basically the number of people on the network, users, in this case, cryptocurrency owners, and then the number of interconnections, applications, and other stuff. So if you think about, you know, my phone, right, when we first got a mobile phone, I could call you. Now it's a computer, right? The number of applications and everything else. So the value of all those mobile phone networks added together, plus Apple and everything else is like mind-blowingly big. So... The value of crypto is really interesting because this is a network of money. We've seen these network models before, like Facebook. So Facebook is a big network. It's valued according to Metcalfe's law. But the difference with Facebook is we as users only get the benefit of the likes and the comments and connecting with our friends and family or or using it for business. And Facebook shareholders made all the money. When you create a network of money, The more people come onto the network, everybody who comes onto the network owns a token. And the value of the token goes up the more people go into the network. So it's like ultra powerful. It's like behavioral economics 101, is give humans a network of money, they're going to make it go up in value, and they're going to adopt it very fast. So that means for, in in layman's terms, this is a $2 trillion asset class as of today. All the other asset classes, equities, bonds, real estate, gold, you know, all of these things are bigger. Gold is about eight or ten trillion. But equities, global equities, global bonds, global real estate, they're all between 150 and 350 trillion dollars. So if this is truly the asset class we think it is, and its adopted its adoption is growing as fast as this. The maths, just the simple adoption maths, suggest that it gets to 200 trillion by the end of the decade. That's a 100x. So if you think you're in the Middle East, if you think the wealth that happened in the Middle East from after the kind of Brits moved out and the um, and the ruling families took over and discovered oil, that amount of wealth came fast but it actually took a while so there was like 20 or 30 years from the 50s to the 70s and then that amount of wealth was huge same with Russia what happened in Russia once they opened up what we're doing here is going to create something much larger totally global in scale that allows people to make enormous amounts of money as we completely change the world's financial system and the world's business models and this is the opportunity that we've been given to us This is the opportunity that we all have to tell other people about because I don't want anybody to come back to me this time around and say, why didn't we know? This is the opportunity. And what's really unique about it, you can be a construction worker from India living in Dubai and put in a few dirham a month. Or you can be a rich dude and put in whatever, but you can both put in 5% of your earnings every month. And it it's, it doesn't it stops the rich poor divide because this stuff gets fractionalized. So you have Bitcoin, oh my God, it's sixty six thousand dollars. No, you can buy a small fraction, so everybody can buy the right percentage for them.
0: To me, it's staggering. And the questions that I get asked a lot by people are, Spence, first of all, I don't understand the blockchain, and I want to understand that better, which is great because people should learn. I don't understand uh, what coin I should have. Is it a currency or is it an asset class? Because I'm hearing and reading that Ethereum isn't the same as Bitcoin. They're two very different things. But also my repost with a lot of these people is, tell me what you understand about the Forex market. Tell me what you understand about the the equity markets. Genuinely tell me, describe to me how a mutual fund works. And the reality is the average investor doesn't got a bloody clue. All right, they really don't. What they actually care about is, so I gave you 100 quid and you gave me 110 back. Is that right? Okay, because it's just like, you know, we don't care what the name of the cow is when we go and have a steak. You know, we don't care what it was fed We just care that the steak tastes nice. People are are caring about the outcome. So what we've seen is that, that some people, a lot of people that care about the outcome get seduced by cryptocurrencies because they believe there might be a get-rich-quick scheme happening here. I can get rich really quick and so, you know, my money needs to go there. And some people are walking around with their fingers burnt and some people are walking around very happy. But the vast majority are still sitting on the fence saying, "Oh, I don't understand enough about it. I wanna get in. You have no doubt in your mind at all, there's no ambiguity at all, okay, that this is the asset class of the now and the
1: future. Correct. And to get people across the line on this, just to interrupt a second, is you and I are talking right now. I have no idea what computer you're on, what phone network you're on, what uh, your internet speed is, what software you're running, anything. And you don't know any of mine and we don't care. We don't need to know this stuff. Yes, you can become an expert. First, you need to know what is the tailwind here? What is driving this asset, this asset class higher and once you think about that, you can think about, okay, I don't need to be the expert. I, it's all new. That's okay. I'm going to learn on the journey. Now, people say
0: to me, what do I buy?
1: Okay, okay Spence, you've convinced me.
0: I'm, I'm in. Okay, I'm in. I'm going to put some of my salary every month. I'm going to put a chunk of money in. Okay, not first of all. That's the second question. First question is, what exchange do I use? Which one can I trust? I've seen this stuff in the news about these exchanges being hacked. I'm worried about that. and My response is always, you also remember banks going bust as well, don't you, in 2008? You remember what happened in Cyprus and in Greece? Okay, people lost everything, you know. You've seen mutual funds go bust. You've seen property funds freeze. This kind of stuff has gone on in the real world just as it's, you know, you've got experiences in the crypto space. So what would you recommend and advise somebody to do when choosing an exchange? And then the next question after that is going to be,
1: how on earth do you
0: make a choice as to where you put your money?
1: So, firstly, just choose one of the big reputable exchanges, particularly one that's regulated somewhere. Because that's going to give you a further comfort. So, you know, there's stuff like Coinbase or Kraken. There's a bunch of these that are big globalized opportunities. Binance is somewhat different because it's it's kind of regulated in some countries, not in others, everything else. So You choose the risk level you want. Binance is amazing because of all the products you can trade. But just simply you choose one of the really big exchanges. And then from that, once you've decided that, then you can start thinking about it. How I did it very simply, and I suggest everybody does it, is don't go diving off the end of some token that somebody randomly told you about in a bar. Go about it intelligently and say, okay, the two big exposures here are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Let me just weight my portfolio by their market cap weighting. So Bitcoin's just over a trillion dollars and Ethereum's $450 million. So there's a weighting for you, this kind of market cap weighting, like you would be if you bought the S&P 500. So that's a pretty easy place to start. Then put it in your portfolio and get to understand the volatility, what it feels like to own this, because you haven't had an asset class like this before that's so volatile, so you're going to have to learn to fight your own psyche, which is panicking when it goes down, getting euphoric when it goes up. You have to realize it's a long-term investment because we're talking about something that's going from two trillion to 200 trillion over 10 years, that you need to not think about, much like stuff in your retirement account you don't think about, and let it grow. Now what's going to happen is magic and it's happened to all of us is once we do that we start reading the news about it why did it go down why is it going up what's going on here oh that's interesting oh but what does this new token do oh that's interesting because that's a bit different to this one and before you know it you learn by osmosis it becomes easy if i say to you i think the best thing in the world is to buy terra terra luna um you're going to go sure and buy some you have no idea what that is or why you're doing it. But if you start with Bitcoin and Ethereum to say, let me just use the simple frame of reference, which will be wrong over time, but Bitcoin is the store of value. It's kind of gold with a call option on the future. And Ethereum is the platform for all of the applications to develop. So so if I think of those two things, I'm kind of covering the entire space for the initial thing because so much is built on Ethereum. Once you've got that, you'll open your mind. And then you're comfortable with, okay, I've got the base layer. Now, what do I want to do from there?
0: Okay, that's great advice. Now, you're well known for being almost 100% in crypto, heavily focused on ETH right now more than you are Bitcoin. Now, you've talked about that quite a lot. You own properties. So let's, let's say the average Joe's got his house downtown Dubai somewhere. He's got his property there. He's running his mortgage on it. How much does the average Joe, as a percentage of his holdings, need to invest in this space?
1: Okay, so it depends what your financial situation is. Do you have a secure income? Yes, that's number you one. Do. So let's say you do, you've got a good job, you've got a place, you've got a mortgage, you've got a car, everything's fine, right? You're just in the grind. That's, you know, that's most people. So then you've got to think, okay, what investments do I have? Do I have investments? What is my strategy for the future? Now, what you'll probably find is kind of if you're over the age of 40, you've built up some kind of investments, you've probably got some equities and you've got some bits and pieces, you might have some gold or whatever it is, right? So you look at that and think, okay, what is my future expected return? Well, most of those things kind of go up about 6% a year. So you realize that you're, and inflation is running pretty hot, central banks are kind of debasing by about 15% a year. You're kind of thinking, okay, fine, I'm kind of standing still, but I'm not going to make a fortune. You know, can you be a genius stock picker and make more money because you, you know, time the tech stocks right? Sure. But it's not easy. So then you think, okay, if I've got my portfolio in that stuff, if I were to add crypto into it, let's say, let's say 10%, then let's say Raoul's a total idiot and Spence has completely got it wrong. And this goes to zero. You lose 10% of your net worth while you are still making money in the other things you've got investments in and you've saw your earnings, frankly, you don't care. But if I'm right and it goes up 100X, you've gone from 10% to 200%. You've doubled your entire savings. So that's just from a small investment. But really it gets interesting when you're younger and the Middle East is full of young. If you're younger, your ability to take risks should be higher. So if you start dollar cost averaging, or Durham cost averaging into- Let me just explain that for everyone.
0: So dollar cost averaging or Durham cost averaging is where instead of investing in one lump sum, what you do is you put money in, let's say every month over the course of- Every
1: month, if you've you've got like X amount left of your salary every month, you put some of it into this every month, regardless. And what you're doing is allowing the market to do its ups and downs. And you're kind of indifferent from that because you're saying, listen, over time, this is going to grow. This stops you the insanity of, it's going up, I've got to buy it. It's going down, I've got to sell it. It's like, I'm going to do this in a calculated manner and build my savings over time. That's basically what pensions do in um, the stock market. You make a pension payment every month, it does this. But your pension expected returns are almost nothing. You're never going to retire on your pension. That is the dirty secret that nobody wants to realize, is you're never going to retire. And that's why your job as a wealth manager is help people navigate that fact, (laughs) is they need to figure out what it is they're trying to do here. So if you're young and you start getting involved in this, you're basically getting a stake in the internet in 1997. What is it? I mean, this is game changing because now you're being a VC investor, a technology investor, and a crypto investor, and a visionary all at the same time. So why not take that risk? Because if you're, less than 30 years old, hell, this is the opportunity, because equities are all-time record valuations, bonds are all-time record valuations, credits all-time record valuations, real estate's all-time record valuations. So your expected return from those assets is pretty low. But this is wildly different. While we're on that subject then, you
0: just said it, You know, house prices have gone through, they've rocketed everywhere, equities and PE ratios are off the charts right now. My belief is, with prices as high as they are and interest rates as low as they are, that they're going to have to slowly increase interest rates eventually anyway. And by increasing those interest rates, it's going to become more expensive for people to borrow money. And there's loads of people that are leveraged up to the hilt on their mortgages now because they've just gone and bought second and third homes and buy-to-lets or big houses in the countryside after being cooped up in London, etc. What do you think is going to happen to the property market What do you think is going to happen to interest rates? What do you think is going to happen to equities? Are we we heading from
1: full? So here's the dirty secret. The dirty secret is we talked about this debt bubble, right? The world is 400% of GDP in debt, of which the US is half of it. The world has never been this indebted in history, and no country has been this indebted as a percentage of world GDP. What does that mean? It means if I raise interest rates, Everything goes bust because nobody can pay the bill. That's what happened last year. Nobody could pay the bill. So, what did the governments do? And the central bank will give you money to pay your bills. We will forbear your mortgages, i.e., you don't have to pay them for now. Any loans you've got, you don't have to pay them. Your rent, don't have to pay it. And we're going to give you cash and we're going to buy. All of the corporate bonds, so none of them go bust, and the government bonds. And in some countries, they bought equities too. So, what is that telling you? It's telling you that they cannot allow the end game, which would be the global collapse. So, interest rates might go up a bit, but they can't go up a lot because the world system will simply collapse. So, if you think of a debt like a mortgage, right? A mortgage, you have collateral, which is the money you put up when you bought the house. And the house itself. If the house falls below the value of the debt, then you've got negative equity. Now that's fine if you can pe- keep paying the interest, but when you can't, it's game over. The bank take it back, and you go bankrupt. So the same is everything. Collateral is the key to the entire system. What is the collateral? All this money you've talked about that people have borrowed. Well, it's housing, bonds, and it's the stock market. Those cannot be allowed to break. They simply can't. So what we've got is this weird world where the moment economic weakness comes, and we just had the biggest recession in all recorded history, but it lasted two months in the United States. Why? Because the central bank threw everything at it because they're like, this cannot happen. And so the downside for equities is actually much less than it's ever been. So even if we fall 20% over the next two months, the central bank have this Pavlovian response as we cannot allow it to go lower because we can't allow it to destroy the economy. So we're gonna print more money and make it look like stocks are going up. They're actually not, it's actually actually the value of fiat currency overall is falling. So I don't think the day of reckoning is coming. I think it's a slow day of reckoning, where over time they devalue the currency and we just get poorer. So how do you get poorer in this situation? Well, traditionally an asset is what we put our money into to defer future consumption. So I buy stocks now, so I can, when I'm retired, sell them and spend it on whatever I wanna spend it on. Right? That's what an asset is. You can pass it on generations. That's all we use assets for, deferred consumption and to protect the value of that investment. So if your income is not going up much, and it's not generally, but the price of these assets is going through the roof because these are valued in US dollars and the US dollar or all of these currencies are being printed. So it's actually falling. So it makes them look look like it's, they're going up a lot, but they're not. So what you've got now is your same income and all these assets up here. So your future self is now poorer, a lot poorer, because you're putting in the same amount of money every month into these assets. You're buying less and less of them. This is the trick, is you're basically devaluing your savings and your earnings and your, your, what you earn and what you can do with that earnings. Um, and so this is why I, crypto solves a lot of these issues. And that's why it's so important.
0: A friend of mine is the CEO of an asset management department in a bank, one of the bigger banks here in Dubai. He said to me, in the retail bank, we have over 10,000 accounts with at least 1 million US dollars in, sitting in checking accounts at 0% interest. I said to him, why don't you and the asset management team go and scoop up all that money and get it invested? like, the, the amounts are too small for us to work with. And I'm like, well, why, doesn't the, why don't the private bank deal with it? Well, the private bank, is, it, it doesn't fit into what they try to achieve. They usually go for a slightly different amount. So there's this void of this money that sat there. It fascinates me when inflation being really, it's not
1: 3%, it's more than sure. 3%. And what people are thinking, and I I thought this for a while, is at least I've got my money in the bank and nobody can take it away from me. And that's probably right, right? The probability of that bank going bust is, is relatively low. So you're thinking that, but what you don't realize is every year, what you could have done with that money has gone up exponentially. So had you bought a property, now the trade-off with property is it's bloody illiquid sometimes. And you know, Dubai is a great place to go through property cycles. Sometimes you can sell a property in a day and other times you can't sell it for six months um, at any price. So property you need to be cautious of. But that million dollars that you've got in that account, suddenly that property has gone up 40%. You're now 40% poorer in that ability. And as you said, this implied inflation of stuff. So I talked to corporate treasurers about this. I, I was invited by Fidelity to talk to some of the largest corporate treasurers in America. And I'm like, okay, what is your cash on your balance sheet for? Because these US corporates, tech ones, have huge cash. I'm like, what is your cash for? They said, one is share buybacks. We return to shareholders. I said, fine. Two, M&A. We want to buy other businesses to keep growing. Three, we buy real estate because we open offices and plants and all that stuff. So great. So your cash, what are you getting returns on it? Well, we 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 we're kind of conservative. We get maybe two percent on our cash. I'm like fantastic, and you keep topping it up because you're a you know you generate a lot of cash. To the business. So when you buy back your shares, are you finding you're buying back your shares at higher prices all the time? I'm like, they're like, yeah. I'm like, the real estate that you keep buying or building, has that gone up all the time? Yeah. What about the companies you buy? Has the value of that gone up a lot? They said, oh my god, yeah. So I'm like, what's happening is your savings are being debased versus these assets. So you're actually poorer as a company because you can't afford the things that you actually want, which is what the corporate treasury wants. And I'm like, this is why you need to have Bitcoin on your balance sheet, because it's going to offset some of this. And then you'll be able to buy, do better M&A deals. It won't be so expensive to buy your shares back. You buy about more shares. So your share price goes up more. You're just thinking about it, Rob.
0: One of the problems that exists with the whole world of buying crypto is that financial advisors aren't allowed to sell it. Whether it's the UK accredited, uh, US accredited and non accredited, whether it's the UK basically thinking everyone's stupid. Ricky Gervais put the point on very well about Brexit, saying, you know, we shouldn't have been allowed to vote for Brexit because most of the UK is stupid, which I thought was quite funny. He said, on the back of a bottle of bleach, it says, do not drink, take the label off that bottle for a year, see who's left and then vote. (laughs) It does find find hilarious. But the governments are basically saying, we don't want you to get involved in anything that we don't think that you should buy because we can't trust you to make a good decision anyway. So financial advisors have got a a really difficult situation to deal with because they see opportunity for their clients, but they're not allowed to go down that path. So when it comes to the whole crypto space, and and I'm literally in the middle of it now, I own a wealth management business here amongst other companies that I own. And the guys, you know, we we get asked every day, well, can we have some crypto, please? Can we get some Bitcoin? How do we buy Bitcoin and stuff like that? And we're like, yeah. And so actually what happens is, let's say a client's portfolio is $5 million for the sake of example, they now want to put more and more money into crypto. We can't sell it. So actually their portfolio with us is going to go down. So we have a a reduction in potential revenue because they're siphoning that money off into a Coinbase or a Binance or whatever it may be. You know, it's a really
1: frustrating- And and you also can't do your job as well because you don't now see that part of the portfolio. So you now don't get a full understanding of what the risks the guy's doing. So you can't give the best advice. Because it's kind of off your balance sheet, and so everybody in that case is hindered. Because maybe they're taking too much risk. In your perception, you can't give your advice that all your experience has given you, and you're not saying crypto's bad. You're just saying, listen, we need to look at this holistically and figure out what it is we're doing. Well, look, the reality is, the average
0: financial advisor, if he can't make any money out of selling it, he's probably not going to sell it either, and so. You know, if he can't sell crypto and he's not going to make any money because he can't do it, then he's not going to get involved in it, which, again, leads on to the client. At the end of the day, the client will always lose if they can't get the right kind of advice that's applicable to them, which I find deeply, deeply frustrating. Going back to the other point, though, this is my advice to people buying crypto. Buy crypto. Stop opening up and looking at the value of it every day. Leave it. Don't even look at it again for 10 years. OK, but, you know, if you want to go on New Year's Day once a year and have a quick look, OK, fine. But the rest of it, don't go. Don't even go there. There's no point.
1: Because how many people check the value of their pension plan every hour, minute, day? <laughs> we, Nobody, right? <laughs> we have quarterly meetings with clients and they're like, do we really have to meet to discuss this? <laughs> and that's how you should think about it. Yeah. I mean, sure. Have a little pool of money on the side you want to do trading with because it's kind of fun. Go for it. But the other stuff, your actual investment in this space, be ruthlessly sanguine about it. Just ignore it all and just keep doing it. And if you can distance yourself and say, right, I, I like a bit of adrenaline too, fine. Keep 10% back, and start punting. Go you skydive Dubai? Go and do a tandem jump. <laughs> That'll
0: keep you busy. <laughs>
1: yeah, or trade crypto options. I don't care, but just don't screw up the long-term saving opportunity here. Okay, let's touch on
0: a couple of things before we go, because I'm conscious of time. Okay, non-fungible tokens. This term that was created not so long ago in most people's mind came to light. Okay, people are like, what the heck is an NFT? What on earth does fungible even mean when they hear that? So can you explain, because to me... To me, this is, a, this is a movement, along with the metaverse, that I'm really fascinated about. But my dad said to me, he's 76 years old, he's like, it's taken me three years to understand crypto. Now you want to start talking about something else. <laughs> and I'm like, dad, you're all right, mate.
1: Explain to me, about, me, what is an NFT? Forget all the terminology, everything. Visualize it. It is the ability to attach a digital asset onto a contract. And that contract gives ownership. And it can have other things in it, like income stream. Let's simply say it gives ownership. So right now, if I go and buy an Andy Warhol, I'm assuming it's been authenticated by Sotheby's or whoever, and that the signature is real, and that it has the value it has because I've traded it in an open marketplace. But there can be fraud, there can be, you know, it could have been stolen, there's a bunch of issues here. So what an NFT does is solve that. It solves any digital asset and say, Okay, this one is one of one. There may be some duplications, but this one is your ownership, it's in your wallet, you own it, you can transfer it, and it has certain rights that go with it. It may be a piece of art, it may be an insurance contract. It could be any number of things. Just because we're seeing art, and as everybody laughs about JPEGs, you know, Board 8, Yacht Club, and CryptoPunks, that's just the start. What it gives you is the ability to attach anything to a blockchain and it to be unique. So therefore, we can create fully digital value and exchangeability and storability of anything. And physical goods can be attached too. So we're going to start to see tokenization of real estate. Um, And that is going to be very interesting. So that kind of $10 million apartment in Dubai that nobody can afford except the rich, you can tokenize it. And then everybody can do it, including the Indian construction worker. Right, that's game changing. That's what NFTs can do. NFTs also give you your digital identity because it's something that you own that is unique to you and has characteristics within it. Because of smart contracts, it allows you to maybe have all of your identity behind that. And I can share it with you digitally online without even showing it to you. There's something called Zero Knowledge Proofs that allow some of this stuff. But it's also your identity in a community. So, hey, I own a Born 8 Yacht Club. I'm part of you guys and I can hang out with the cool kids. Humans love that shit, right? They do this stuff all the time. They like to be part of a group and they want to like self-identify. It also allows the ownership of digital assets like clothing. And you know, for you and I, you're like, why the hell do you want digital clothing? But you ask your daughter, she goes, yeah, dad, can I have some more money for that, please? Because it's how you identify online, right? We'll overpay for a t-shirt or a watch because we think, don't I look cool, right? It's still the same two dollar piece of cotton, but I'll pay two hundred dollars for it because it's from a cool designer. And I self-identify, right? It's ridiculous. Watches are the same, ridiculous. But you know, that's that's what we do. But online, it's equally applicable. I saw the two worlds collide the other day. I got invited to the pre-showing of the Dolce and Gabbana NFT. I'm no fan of Dolce and Gabbana as the clothing, but they created two things here. One was you buy this dress or this jacket or this piece of jewelry, and it's the rights of it attached to an NFT. So you can transfer the rights of it, and you can separate the rights and keep the dress and also get the digital rights. So there's this 4K rendering in the Unreal Engine of this dress that you can now wear once the metaverse is kind of ready for this stuff. They're like, we understand the world's not there yet, but it's yours. And then they did something even cleverer is they designed a jacket and a dress, but the jacket was really interesting. It was made out of materials that cannot exist in the real world. And it was really bloody nice. And I looked at that and I had jacket envy. <laughs> I thought, God, that's a really cool jacket. And then I thought, yeah, I would easily overpay for this to wear it in the metaverse once we're ready. Of course I would, because that's gonna digitally represent me and you know what I care about. You know, Why do I wear a bunch of bracelets? just because it's how we identify, right? With our tribe or whatever it is. So this is what NFTs are. And so I think you can figure out it's much bigger than anybody's thinking. People are thinking it's digital art. It's that. People are thinking it's digital communities. It's that. People are thinking it's tokenization of real estate. It's that. It's the tokenization of all assets. Yeah, it's that too. It's the it's the ability to live in this metaverse world where... Digital goods want to be transferred across experiences from Fortnite to Axie Infinity. Yeah, it's that too. And what else is it? Who the hell knows? It's going to be everything. It's how you create a unique digital identity and transfer it. It's going to
0: be everything.
1: Yes. That and social tokens, which are basically your membership to communities. And like we talked about Facebook before, if we'd had all been given shares in Facebook as users, we'd all be rich. Mm-hmm. But the shareholders got rich and we didn't. In fact, we good. got poorer because they kind of used our data. Oh, yeah. by the way, our, our identity and data. So once you've got digital identity, you can now charge for it. So for Facebook, sure, you can use my data, pay me. Uh, okay. Which Let's can't see. happen right now. How do people buy
0: NFTs? where, Where is it a place that they go to buy that kind of stuff?
1: I think it's too early for most. I think we're in the early discovery phase of what this all means. And look, I'm really deep in all of this space. And I've reached out a lot on Twitter to talk to the leading people at NFTs. I know where it's going. I have no idea how to approach it. And people say, "I'll oh, just go and buy a piece of art. I think all of that stuff's going to go to zero. You know, not Beeple, but, you know, but just the kind of stuff that's around now. Here's 10,000 apes smoking cigars. You know, that stuff's just not going to worth anything. And so I don't think it's the place to learn. So I think it's the time to just watch Real Vision videos on it. Listen to some podcasts. Just absorb it. I don't think it's the time. But if you want to stick your toe and get an open sea and just start checking out, what these projects are. But I think you're going to go there and go, well, I have no idea. How do I know this? I mean, because we all can work, walk into that crappy art shop in our local town and all of that stuff is worthless. Not always will, will be worthless. Sure, you might find something you like. Great. And maybe you should open a wallet and put it in and just figure out how it works. And you can do that for, you know, 50 bucks. Fine, do that. But don't go into that trying to get rich yet because you won't know how to do it.
0: I saw you talking to Gary V about it. Yeah, and, and obviously he's created, I can't remember what the, the characters are, that he's created. V Friends. The Friends, that's right, the Friends. And he's obviously talking a lot about it at the moment and he's talking about how important it is and where we should go with it. And when you were talking to him, did you agree with his theory on it? And did you agree with what he was doing? Or was that part of you sitting there thinking, like you're explaining now, maybe it's maybe. It's I think
1: like- it's a grand experiment. So Gary's idea, along with Aston Kutchner, with his stoner cats, Mm -hmm. what they're basically saying is we're going to build these characters up from scratch like Mickey Mouse built Disney. And we don't know where this is going, but if we put a big enough community behind this who have invested in this community and have a vested interest in the community, then magic can happen. Yes. Which communities are going to become Disney and which aren't? I have no idea. But I would say... You know, Gary's got a pretty good judgment. You know, I know Tom Billio's doing something on this. And I know a bunch of these people are. And get involved because they're good communicators. You know, the people who own CryptoPunks are not good communicators for normal people. So feel free to get involved. There's no guarantee of success. But Gary's made it pretty clear he really wants to protect people at this early stage to get people to understand what it's all about. So go and buy one of the V friends. Go for it. But realize, listen, this may not go up in value, but you're going to learn a lot. But who knows? Maybe it's going to go up a ton. But really, you go with open eyes.
0: You go you go and spend $500 on a course to learn something. I always find that whenever, when I spend money on something, that's when I have a real interest in learning about it. If I don't spend money, then my judgment is somewhat clouded because then there's an element of confusion, a little bit of cynicism because I don't understand it. But the moment I chuck some money at it, I'm like, well, I'm in now, okay. So,
1: you know, I did that with NFTs and I bought two and I've got them. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't really identify with them. Maybe I bought think the wrong ones. I don't really have time to be part of the community on Discord and talk about Board Ape Yacht Club and what businesses we can build off it, which people are doing. And, you know, I've, I've got four jobs as it is. So I just, I don't have time. So maybe it's just not for me yet. Tokenized real estate, yeah, I get that. Not because it's a traditional asset class, but you know, it, it can add value to to certain things that I'm doing. And maybe I'll find the right community I want to be part of.
0: Tokenized real estate's happening here at the moment, so there's a few companies in that space, which is really interesting to watch them involve. Look, I won't take up any more of your time. I know you're a busy guy, and I know you produce a lot of content. It genuinely, I mean this sincerely, it's an absolute honor and a pleasure to be able to sit and chat with you as openly and as warmly as you've sat and chatted with me today and everyone i'm sure is going to love you because you just give it to us so simply so ladies and gentlemen as i said i'm sure you've enjoyed every moment of this just like i have and if you've made notes make sure you think about what you've written down if you want to come back and ask me questions ask me questions Raoul, real vision how do people go watch your content is it realvision.com
1: Yeah, let me give you a couple of things. Find me on Twitter. I'm very active. I'm trying to share as much information as possible at Raoul R A O U L G M I. You know, I try and answer people. I try and do as much. I, you know, it's getting increasingly difficult because I've got so many followers. But I'm I'm very active and try to be as helpful as possible and try and be a thought leader. If you want to learn more about this crypto stuff, I set up an entire free channel. Real Vision is not free. It's only it's only two hundred and fifty dollars a year. That's all for the traditional world of investing. But for crypto, I'm so passionate about how important this is. We created a free channel. Just go to realvisioncrypto.com or realvision.com forward slash crypto. Input your email address. There's interviews with all of the most amazing people, all of the thought leaders talking about the future, where we are in the present, everything from technical analysis and charting through to the future of the metaverse. And it's all there and it's free resource for everybody to use. So I just, you've got no excuse. I, you know, don't turn back to me in five years time and say, why didn't I know? That's That that was the driving factor here. You do know, go to realvision.com forward slash crypto and just mm. there it all is. Don't blame ignorance on that.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the awesome and incredible, and probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done with the amazing Raoul Paul. Oh, man, that was fascinating. You know, having, having someone that can talk about that subject. Look, if you're not invested in crypto, you need to be invested in crypto. Like you said, get Bitcoin, get Ethereum, don't worry about any of the others, no matter what people say, no matter what you see on social media, just get involved in the two most basics. It's going to make you money over the long term. Leave it in there, 10 years, don't even go onto the account, forget about it. It'll probably be the best investment you ever make in your life. And I don't say that lightly. Look, if you enjoyed this show and you're listening to it on iTunes, then do me a favour and leave a five-star rating. Honestly, I mean that sincerely. I'd love it if you would. And if you're listening on any other podcast app, it means a lot to me if you leave some love. Again, as I say always, the more people that do that means that this show then gets pushed out to a bigger audience that can enjoy the same content as you. I'll see you next week on the show. Hopefully you've enjoyed this one. Of course you did, okay? Send me some comments. If you've got any questions and you need any advice, I'll be glad to take them and help you out. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi Events and Najahi Tribe. Now, Najahi, sounds like an unusual word and it is but it's Arabic for my success and Najahi have brought some of the world leading public speakers motivational speakers inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years and Abu Dhabi mind you and Najahi brought I don't know people like Tony Robbins ever heard of him okay Nick Vujicic no arms no legs no worries Lisa Nichols Prince EA Jay Shetty Alicia Keys And people like this and they bring them in and they run events and from those events we go and we learn from these incredible people on top of that they launched the najahi tribe recently where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers that literally you can join become a member of take advantage of a training from all of these different people like real experts in their field I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, (laughs) hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoyed these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I Events.com. I'll see you soon.